please turn to Luke uh, chapter 3. Uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter uh, 5. Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be continuing our, our study in uh, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we started it back in, um, in December, and we're going to continue to plow uh, through. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 25, 27, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. We're going to read to the end of the chapter, really focusing in on verses 33 uh, through 39. So let's read God's Word, uh, and then I will pray and ask God to bless our time in His Word. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the, old, piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. Let's pray. Lord, you are so glorious, you are so mighty, you are so holy, sovereign, and good. Father, we we just praise you. God, we praise you that we have the the privilege and the opportunity to enter into your throne room through the blood of the Lord Jesus. God, I pray now that you would make your presence felt here. God, we pray that your name would be um, magnified in this time together. God, I pray that you press your word on the hearts of your people, that they may receive it with great joy, God. God, show them the new thing that you are doing in Christ. Father, we want your name to to, to be expanded throughout the earth. God, hear our prayer this morning. Father, but we we also just pray for other churches in this area. God, we we, we ask that you put your hand of blessing um, on Joey Deese this morning at Oakdale Baptist Church. Father, we pray that you would make him a man that is faithful to your word. God, fill him with your spirit that as he preaches, your people would be edified, strengthened, and encouraged. God, we want your church to grow, Father. Grow your kingdom in Rock Hill and across the world. God, we specifically ask prayer this morning for um, B and Tommy Green. God, we thank you so much for their faithful service to this church and their faithful service to you. God, we pray that you strengthen Miss B. God, we pray that you will... Um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, strengthen her by your grace. God, continue to give Tommy words of wisdom and strength to care for B. And God, we ask now for our own hearts. God, sometimes it's so hard 
to come to Sunday morning to, to, to listen intently to your word. So, Father, I pray for the next uh, 30 minutes, God, that you will, dis- you will remove distractions from people's minds. God, that you will remove the, the, the ideas and the thoughts for later today or for this coming week, and that you give them focus uh, on, on your word. God, I pray that your word strengthens and encourages them. God, I pray for my words. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in thy sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. God, I pray that you allow me to preach with boldness and yet with grace. So God, fill your church with your spirit now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The internet is a strange and crazy place. You never know what you're going to come across or you never know what's going to become wildly popular. Videos go viral, uh, which in a matter of days, millions of people know the message. Earlier last year, a, a spoken word poem went viral by a young man named Jefferson Betke. He called it, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. He starts out his poem with these words. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? Well, that that thought resonated with our culture because it had over a million hits within a matter of a week. Religion has developed a very bad reputation in our world. But Becky, Becky goes on saying this. He says this. Now back to the point. One thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says slave, Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are are two different clans. That was a wrap. I'm good, right? I'm, I'm wrapping in my suit Sunday morning, Park Baptist Church. Well, the, 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 it captivated. You read a lot of what he said, and, and you, as a preacher, you say, well, that'll preach. That'll preach. But does internet popularity determine truthfulness? Well, no. So we have to ask ourselves, are religion and Jesus from two different clans? Are they on two opposite ends of the spectrum? And for decades, pastors have been telling people that Christianity is not a religion, but it's a relationship. Now, we know that ultimately Christianity is a relationship with God. But it's also a religion. America loves Jesus, but hates religion. But as one pastor notes, the problem is he didn't. Jesus was a Jew. He went to the synagogues, services at the synagogues. He observed Jewish holy days. He did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He founded the church. He established church discipline. He instituted a ritual meal. He told his disciples to baptize people and to teach others to do the same. He insisted that people believe in him and believe certain things about him. So if religion is characterized by doctrine, commands, rituals, and structure, then Jesus is not your go-to guy for hating religion. Jesus did not come to abolish religion. He came to radically change it. So this morning, I want to ask you several questions through our text 
that you'll find in the outline provided for you in the back of the bulletin um, to analyze what you believe about religion. Which brings us to our first question. Do you believe in a religion of works? Do you believe in a religion of works? We see here in verse 33 that certain people came to challenge Jesus' disciples' character. So in verse 33 it reads, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. See, the people were not making a simple observation, simple statement, but rather they were making a a statement about the character of Jesus' disciples. The statement implies that Jesus' disciples were not as religious as the Pharisees' disciples or the disciples of John. They fast often and pray regularly. But before we slam these people who came to challenge Jesus, it's important to understand the reasoning behind a statement like that. Fasting was a normative part of the culture if you were religious. Jews were only required by the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 16, to have one fast a year on the Day of Atonement, refraining from food for a day. You know, other, 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 other fasts are prescribed in the Old Testament, but only one that was mandatory by a Jew every year. So although the Jews were only required to fast once a year, the Pharisees fasted twice a week. Every Monday and Thursday they would fast and ask for deliverance for the nation of Israel. So fasting was a sign of piety and reverence. So in Jesus' day, you were considered irreligious, and irreverent if you did not fast regularly. So Jesus and his disciples arrive on the scene. And not only do they not fast, but they eat and drink with sinners. It's a stark contrast. So imagine if I came this morning wearing a tank top, shorts, and flip-flops to preach to you this morning. Would my message change at all? No, but you would be looking at me like I would be irreligious and irreverent. Don't imagine that, okay? But that's the picture. It's a stark contrast. Jesus did not fit into the framework of the Pharisees. See, these people looked at Jesus' disciples and were implying that Jesus needs to do something with his posse. They were attempting to be obvious by not being obvious. It's like when a well-meaning grandmother uh, tells one of her grandchildren when their daughter just, uh, their children just have a tantrum. You know, so-and-so's children came by the other day, and they were so well-behaved. Which is code word for what is wrong with your kids, <laughs> right? That, the, the, these, these, these people came to Jesus and basically saying code for what is wrong with your disciples. The people questioned Jesus and his disciples because they were living in a mindset of the old covenant, under the old law, a religion of works. They believed that you were justified, that you were made right with God based on what you did. And unfortunately, that works-based mentality has seeped into your lives and the lives of Christians all over the world. See, the perspective easily can creep into our lives. And not only in our lives individually, but our lives as a church, family. So we have to ask ourselves, do you functionally believe in a religion of works? Not intellectually, 
right? You guys have been in Baptist churches long enough to know that you're saved by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone. But functionally, do you live that way? Do you live in a religion of works? Be honest. Do you pat yourselves on the back because your life is, is a little bit better than the person sitting next to you on the other side of you? Do you put yourself over your brothers and sisters by focusing on how their behavior is not quite as good as your behavior? Their religious activity is not quite as good as yours? Do you look down on them because they don't measure up to your standards? So now remember the issue that people had with Jesus' disciples was not only that they were eating and drinking, but that they were eating and drinking with sinners. That was unheard of of the day. They were judged to have a weak faith, a weak walk with God because they spent time with sinners. So why were they spending time with sinners? Why were they eating with sinners? Why were they talking with sinners? Why were they fellowshipping with sinners? Because Jesus was spending time with sinners. How many of you here spend time with non-Christians? intentionally and purposefully. Because Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you are only hanging out with other Christians, you are not able to call sinners to repentance. You are not able to be a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus and his disciples were living to call sinners to repentance to turn to the living God for salvation. Beloved, we need to wake up. It is so easy to be confused and our spiritual life is connected to religious activities. God wants us to do good works. We know Ephesians chapter 2, 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works are important. But the reason behind those good works makes all the difference. Now, as a pastor, I spend a lot of time trying to get people to participate in religious activities. You know how much time I spend encouraging people to come to church, to come to Sunday school, to participate in the Lord's Supper? You know how many times I I try to encourage that religious activity? And I, I think that's good. I think it's right. I think it's growing. It's helpful for your walk with the Lord Jesus. But there's one of two ways to say that. I could say it like this. You need to be more faithful to the church. You need to give more and do more. God wants you to be more involved. And can I just be honest with you? You Those aren't heretical statements, but I think they're wrong-headed. I was convicted this week that I was just wondering, how often do I sound like a works-based pastor telling you to do and to do and to do? And I was just convicted. Now, you, you, you should do, but this is, this is I think, a, a better way of saying it. The other side, Jesus Christ is so glorious. He is so holy. He came to rescue you from sin and death, giving his own life for your soul. What a great and glorious God. This great God has sacrificed everything for you. So lay down your 
life for Him. Give more and do more in response for what Christ Jesus has done for you. That has a very different flavor to it, doesn't it? See, that's, that's the goal of our lives. It's, it's not just to do good works. It's to do things in response to the great love of God in Christ. It's for His sake. Which brings us to that second question. Christianity is not a religion of works. Primarily, it's a religion of worship. So that second question, do you believe in a religion of worship? See, Jesus responds to the people who are living on this Old Testament or Old Covenant religion of works system by saying in in verse 34, can you make wedding guests fast? while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Jesus turns religion on its head with one question. The question is posed, so the answer is obviously no. Can wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is present? Jesus is saying, I am the bridegroom. I am the one who came to to bring uh, the people to himself. That imagery of the bridegroom is throughout the Old Testament. We see it clearly in Isaiah 54, verses 5 and 6. It says this, For your maker, God, is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted, and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Jesus is saying to these accusers, the bridegroom is here. Therefore, this should be a time of celebration and joy. What a better way to celebrate someone's wedding than a party, eating and drinking. See, fasting is about preparation. Marriage is about fulfillment. Even the word guest here is a different word in the Greek. It's it's designed to to, to show an intimate relationship with the bridegroom. You know, I I love going to weddings, but going to a wedding of, of a friend or a second cousin is not as exciting than going to a wedding of a brother or of a sister. There's a different level of joy. And that's the picture here. It's this intimate relationship with Jesus. They're getting married and you want to celebrate. You want to rejoice in what God has done. You don't fast. I mean, have you ever gone to a wedding with someone like that? You're at a party and they're like this the whole time? You know what I do when I'm I'm sitting next to that person? (laughs) I walk away. Because when I'm at a party, guess what I want to do? I want to celebrate. I want to be joyful. See, the Pharisees and John's disciples were fasting because they did not see the deliverance that was standing right in front of them. They were praying for deliverance for the nation Monday and Thursday, but the deliverer was standing right in front of their midst. They were focused on rules and rituals, yet they they missed the object of those rules and rituals, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was establishing a new religion. A religion that was primarily not based on works, but on worship. We see this in the parable. 
that he shares. In verse 36, it says, He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for if he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. For new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is gone. I mean, if you, if you read that again, the word that just jumps out at you is new. New wine. New garment. New way. Jesus is coming to bring a new way. And what, what he's trying to say is that the old way cannot mesh with that which is new. The, the old and the new, if you try to bring them together, they are both destroyed. Look at the example. If I have a new shirt and I tear off a, a piece from my new shirt and I try to match it up perfectly with my old shirt that has a hole in it, guess what I just did? I ruined my new shirt and I didn't fix my old shirt. So I got two shirts that are both ruined. It's the same imagery with the second one with, with wine. You know, in, in the day, they, they put uh, wine into fresh wineskins because when the wine went into the, the, to the skin, it expanded. And if it was an old wineskin, when it expanded, the the, the skin would be destroyed and wine would fall to the ground. So the new wine and the wine skin would both be destroyed. I mean, the sense that you get when you read this is, what a waste. What a waste. So in order to avoid the waste, new wine must be put into new wineskins. The new wine or the new way Jesus is talking about is himself. He is the bridegroom. He is the new way. Christianity is not about works. It's about a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that you love so much that your life is changed because of that relationship. Should your life change when you come to Jesus? Absolutely. But you are not saved because you do good works. You are saved to do good works. You've got to get the order right. If you get the order wrong, you are part of every other religious system in our world. Jesus Christ is not another system. He is the system. He is the new way the bridegroom has come to rescue his bride. You can't mix the two. And many Jews, even in Jesus' day, believed that Gentiles had to follow the old way to be grafted in to the new kingdom. Paul writes to the power of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not works of the law. Because works of the law, no one will be justified. And this is why this is important. You're like, yeah, pastor, I got this. I, I know this. You know, hey, this is, this is the new way. Follow Jesus. We're not saved by good works. Amen. See, but the problem here is it's so easily to fall back into that way of thinking. It is so easy to fall back into a way of works. Even, even listen to verse 39. No one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. Now, I could probably preach three sermons on that one verse. The old is good. Because you know, as a pastor, what's the, what's the, the five 
most terrifying words that you young pastor hears from a church? We've never done this before, right? Usually when I hear that, I'm like, I better, I better duck or prepare my resume because that's where the, 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 the angst happens. This is what's happening in Jesus' day. People came to him. We've never seen this before. You should be fasting. Why are you eating and drinking? See, but our world lives in the, in the old way. We have to help people understand that they're lost. In our culture, every major religion is about works. Islam, Mormonism, Buddhism, Hinduism. It's a salvation that depends on one's labors and efforts. So when we share our faith, we have to help people see their need for new wine, for the new way. We need to show them their need for Jesus Christ. Now, there may be some of you here today that do not realize your need for anything new. Maybe you believe in a religion of works, trusting in your works to win God's acceptance. Can I just encourage you to abandon that way of thinking? You will never do enough to overcome your sin. If you think you could do good works, how many good works? How much will be enough? See, the Bible says that sin cannot be overworked. Sin needs to be punished. You cannot erase your sin. The biblical punishment for sin is death and hell. But God, in his mercy, sent the Lord Jesus to take the penalty for us. Jesus will take your punishment too. All you have to do is turn from trusting in a religion of works to gain God's acceptance and to trust in Jesus Christ and worship him as your bridegroom, as your only hope for salvation. Now, beloved, you guys have heard a lot of sermons. Are you living in the old way? Because here's, here's my, one of my greatest fears, is that when a church falls back into a religion of works, you know what the culture of that church becomes? Harsh, cold, critical, judgmental. How, how would it feel to go to church knowing that you constantly feel compared? Do, do I measure up with somebody's standards? Is my, are my clothes good enough? Are my, is my attendance good enough? That is not the way a church should feel. And beloved, I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to my own heart. I, I have a judgmental and a critical spirit. When I look at people, sometimes I, I judge them because I don't think they measure up to my standard. But it's not about my standard. It's not about your standard. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ who met our standard with his death, burial, and resurrection. We can't live in the old way. God came to give us something new. So don't be like those folks who said the old is good. We're happy. We're, we're content. We're, we're, we're fine living in the old way. The old way is just fine. Jesus said, I came to destroy the old way to make it new. Well, the last question is, do you believe in a religion of grace? A religion of grace. See, Christianity is a religion of grace. We have redeemed, been redeemed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are now living in that grace. So are you more concerned with rules, rituals, the order of a service, traditions, or are you more concerned with saving lives? Because remember, these, these disciples 
of John and the disciples of the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, Yours don't fast. They eat and drink. Who are they eating and drinking with? They're eating and drinking with sinners that those sinners could come to know our great and powerful God. When we fall back into the old way of thinking, we lose our mission. We stop working. We stop laboring for the King of kings and the Lord of lords that people will come to know Him and be transformed from death to life, from hell to heaven, from slave to a son. We need to live in grace. Two or three years before the death of John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, he said when his sight was so dim and he could no longer able to read, a friend and a brother in ministry called to him to have breakfast with him. The custom was to read the Word of God following meal time, and after, after which Newton would uh, share a few remarks on the biblical passage, uh, then offer a prayer. That day, however, there was silence after the Scripture. By the grace of God, I am what I am, were read. After several minutes, uh, Newton spoke. He said these words, and I think if you can live in these words, the church culture that we live in today would be drastically different. So I'm going to close here, and I'm telling you that specifically so that you will listen to these words. This is what he said. I am not what I ought to be, how imperfect and deficient I am. I am not what I wish to be, although I abhor that which is evil and would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be, but soon I shall be out of mortality and with it all sin and imperfection. Though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, and not yet what I hope to be. I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God I am what I am. And after saying those words, he said, let us pray. Can I just encourage you to live in that to live in, in, in the mentality, in the mindset that you are what you are by the grace of God. You are a, we are a dirty bride. This is why the bridegroom imagery is so beautiful. We are not pretty people. We, are, we have ugly hearts. We do ugly things. And yet our great God, the Prince of Heaven, came and married spiritual prostitutes like you and I so that we can close our eyes and say, I am not what I want to be. But I say, thank God, I am, um, by the grace of God, not what I once was. I am no longer a slave to sin and death, but I'm a slave to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ purchased for me with his death, burial, and resurrection. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for our church. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us not live in the old way, God. Help us live in the new way. Help, help us live in a religion of worship. God, help these people worship you. Help me worship you. And that, that worship would change our lives, would change our church. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.